There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode number three of The Hunting Collective. Coming to you back home in Austin, Texas. I know number one, we were in Mexico with Steve Rinella. Number two, we were in Salt Lake City for the Western Hunting Expo with our boy Ryan Callahan. Um, two great episodes and great conversations. Number three, we're back home here in Austin, Texas, and we're joined by Aubrey Marcus. Um, if you're just a hunting fan, if you're a guy that's listening to this connected in the hunting industry, you may not know who Aubrey Marcus is. You may never heard of his company on it, of which he is the CEO, and you may have never heard the term total human optimization. I don't think any of that matters for this conversation because as you'll find, Aubrey Marcus is a philosopher. He is a deep thinker. He's a man who practices psychedelics uh, to better his life, not to just get the high. And he's one of the more successful people you'll ever meet, both spiritually, you know, personally, and professionally. He just is emanates success. He is uh, someone that I greatly admire, not only for what he does and his and how he speaks. Um, you can find him, of course, on the Aubrey Marcus podcast. They tell me there's 10 million downloads on that thing on iTunes, which is crazy. Um, he just released his own book. Uh, it's published by Harper Collins. Own the day, own your life. Uh, just about optimizing your daily life and getting back to being better. And just to say, this, there wasn't some arrangement here with Aubrey and I where I would have him on the podcast just to promote the book, as is, is the general parlance for um, appearances and stuff like this. I've hunted with Aubrey a couple different times, uh, bear hunted in Alberta most recently. As you'll hear in the podcast, uh, we had a great time. We connected. He's just a great dude. So when I was thinking about who I'm going to get with to continue this, this awesome conversation about hunting that we've been having, I thought, what a different mind, uh, what a person to explore this with that Aubrey Marcus is. So that's what I did. I shot him a text. I said, dude, can I come over? 
um, to Onnit, which is headquarters in Austin, Texas, and just hang with you and have a conversation about what what you do and what you think, and open up a little bit of of the doors of hunting for Aubrey and let you guys in on, on what he thinks. And so that's what we did. That's what we did. I know this is a long-winded way of saying welcome to podcast number three, but anyway, welcome to podcast number three. Enjoy. Aubrey Marcus, what's up, man? What's up, Ben? Oh, just living the dream. I don't know. Everybody says that, but... No, but you actually might be. Maybe. I think you might be, too. I might be. I might be. Listen, I don't want to get into... Why aren't like, we, though? If we're not, then what, Then we should be. Well, let's it's figure out... It's our own fault. Let's, yeah, let's figure out if we're not currently living the dream, how we can get there before this hour. <laughs> yeah. And this hourglass is over. I don't want to get into like, hey, tell us about yourself. I would, I would much prefer you tell me about the time we went bear hunting. Uh-huh. And you had uh, experience with a bear, yeah. a psychedelic experience where a bear spoke to you. Am I right? Remember that right? Well, yeah. I mean, I've had that experience happen multiple times, and that wasn't actually during the hunting trip. That happened before. before right. And uh, yeah. Right. And so you had that experience, and then we were going bear hunting, and there was a little bit of a like the interaction you were looking for. Oh, with totally. Bears. So tell me, I just wanted people to hear about that. Going <laughs> in. I feel like that informs So, them. yeah, one of the first times I was doing ayahuasca. Um, ayahuasca is a South American plant concoction that combines a vine, the actual ayahuasca vine, with some DMT-containing leaves like uh, chacruna or opiaje or wambisa, so these very rich green leaves from the rainforest. And they pound out the vine and they brew it into this tea, and it becomes very psychoactive, psychedelic, and they use it in a lot of their healing practices. Uh, apologies to those of you who know what ayahuasca is, but that's uh, <laughs> a little bit of the background. So I've gone down there and participated in some of those indigenous ceremonies, and you, what seems to, uh, it seems like you have contact with other entities, other visions that come. And maybe these come from your own mind, or maybe these come from somewhere else. It doesn't really matter, because they're very instructional and educational and very profound on your life. And one of the visions with a bear um, oh, happened when... <laughs> Like a rookie. John Dudley. Like a John Dudley. Should we let John should Dudley we, come we into him, the podcast? <laughs> John Dudley. <laughs> what is that noise? <laughs> hey, I'm podcast I'm podcasting with Aubrey Marcus right now. We're, you're interrupting. What's up, John? Hey, what's up, brother? Not much, man. What are you doing right now? I'm driving back from Oklahoma from the slaughter test. <laughs> that's what we call hunting <laughs> when john dudley goes out it's a slaughter fest. yeah you just he's so accurate <laughs> yeah it's no longer hunting it's, <laughs> it's killing it's killing everybody well um we just want to say hi and i'll call you back later and uh we'll talk we'll talk all right thanks for the book aubrey you're welcome brother you're welcome man yeah look forward to catching all up right. with you all right we'll catch you later have a good one all right, be good. Bye. i was gonna have a special guest we had that my first yeah you had that you had that couple planned out that's, yeah so. that's lucky i like that especially when it's john dudley thank uh-huh. you john dudley <laughs> uh yeah so anyways i'm in this visionary state and i get this image of a bear and the bear is like weighted down with all these gold chains and a crown and he's like wrestling against it and he's like trying to move, but he's just like, he's like covered in chains, like more than Mr. T, like way more than Mr. T. Just chains weighing him down all over the place. And he's trying to move and trying to run, but he can't because the gold is so heavy. 
And I'm watching him do this. And he looks at me, the bear in my vision, and goes, you know, I remember before I had all these gold chains and this crown when I used to be able to run free just like a bear. And then instantly it like flashed back to his younger self before he had all this wealth and accumulation and status and I'm the king bear when here's all my wealth. And he was just charging through the forest. And then I was like, became like one of the bears and we were like charging through the forest together. And it was this really cool like visual representation and reminder of, you know, a bear really stores all of his wealth on himself it's free to roam and rub trees and chase things down and fight and fuck and do all the things it has no attachments to anything and then it just goes to sleep and wears it off whereas in that image when the bear started to become more like a human and wear his wealth externally then it actually slowed him down it actually prevented him from being what he really was at his core which is a an animal that liked to roam and liked to be free and you know it's very much an analogy for what we humans do to ourselves tied to our houses and cars and possessions and wealth and always concerned about this or that and our status and oh, are we king or are we not king whatever all of this nonsense that prevents us from actually being the human organism that we are yeah no, I found that when you, I remember you telling me that on the drive up to camp. Yeah. And the goal was maybe not to like face down a bear and figure all that out, but that was your, you had that, you know, psychedelic relationship with a bear that, mm-hmm. that struck me is that you, I would never encounter someone in the hunting community that would have that, that relationship or at least mental acuity to be like, I have this relationship with a bear. It's a psychedelic one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It came in a different world that I, you know, I took ayahuasca and then I experienced that. So I always thought, how different your perspectives are based on who you are and what you do and the experiences that you've had that very few people that I've met, you know, outside of. Yeah. I mean, I have a deep connection with, with that animal and the symbolism of that animal. I mean, you can track it back to some of the Druid lore where, you know, the Druid name for bears art. And that was, you know, Arthur is like the bear King, you know, it's like, it's a symbol of kind of they're the king of the forest in that way just as the lion might be the king of the jungle lions and lions aren't even in jungles that's a weird <laughs> saying right that's a movie that we can't yeah. <laughs> but you know Walt so Disney. so there's from that saying to this other i i you know i bought a ranch at the foot of bear mountain it's like this animal that just keeps coming up in multiple ways but i hadn't had any visceral experience with the bear so i went and you know prepared to hunt one but i knew that if that bear if the bear was coming, you know, it would show itself and I would know that was the one, that was the one. Um, and, you know, I was calling out and seeing if that was going to be the time where I would have that, you know, hunting death experience where I'd actually be able to consume the flesh of that bear. But that bear didn't appear. I had, you know, yeah. young sows and, um, you know, different, different other bears. Nothing actually came that I could take a shot at, yeah. but it was still an awesome experience because I'm there in the woods and I'm, you know, in some cases, 10 feet away from bears and you get to see their curious little personalities and this, how natural they are, um, as an animal and, and got to understand them. So while I didn't get to kill and consume one in the same way, like that experience was still incredibly awesome yeah. for me. Well, and you still get, and you get to learn a bit of the natural history of the animal, you know, yeah. learn about what it ate, where it lived, what it, how it habituated. And just what it's, what it's, what it was yeah, like man. only in like really observing it and being super quiet and being super focused and like being completely in tune with your surroundings i mean that's the awesome thing about it you're on the ground with bears and there's other gnarly bears around there 
and you know like you have to kind of be you have to kind of be focused <laughs> well that's the thing about bears especially is that black bears where we were in alberta um those bears are for all intents and purposes docile like they they give off they emote this like docile nature mm-hmm. and when you're you're 10 feet away from them you're not i don't know what your experience was but my experience wasn't to immediately no. curl back and be defensive it was to be aware like to be aware it was there but but also at the same time you know not go run and hide and crawl no. on a tree um i found that to be but you also understand you're at the mercy of the nature of that bear if that bear decides it wants to rip your face off it has every ability to do it and there's not a whole right. lot at that point you can do about it so the the unpredictable nature of that animal still exists even though you feel like you're in this quiet serene observation mode you can never switch off that your own animal mode I no yeah because when those bears start creeping towards you you know you don't want to show fear right like you want to just like check them a little bit like yeah. hey hey you know What's like up? yeah and What's then they up? go like hey yo no nothing i was just uh i was just exploring sniffing i was just, just sniffing around, just sniffing around. around. <laughs> just sniffing around. what you doing bro what you doing but i that's one thing like in in the podcast that that i've tried to put out there the, the first couple that we've done the most feedback i've got is the conversation of value systems going into hunting mm-hmm. like how we value the animal i think we all anybody that goes hunting um, we'll talk a little bit more about your history in it and then mm-hmm. kind of what you want to do in the future. But anybody that goes hunting assigns a value to the animal that they're hunting. Um, I, and we discussed like in the hunting bubble what that looks like. Maybe it's not always the best value. We may outwardly value the animal, but internally we may fetishize its antlers or you know some part of it that isn't that isn't the nature of hunting in and of itself. When you, in that experience, any other hunt you've been on, how, how do you find that you explain the value of that animal as you go? I mean, it's a good, that psychedelic yeah. experience and the relationship, I think maybe touches on that a little bit, but is there a deeper? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I ever appreciated meat until I went hunting. You know, like as conscious quotation marks as I try to be and as spiritually in tune as I try to be, you know, I ate cheeseburgers with fucking impunity. You know, I ate steaks and tenderloins with fucking impunity. You know, this was just meat. I hadn't been part of the slaughtering process. I hadn't been part of the hunting process. And, you know, I had obviously an understanding like, all right, this food came from an animal. I'm not deluding myself. But I didn't really get it until, you know, I went and hunted my first, you know, black buck. It was a black buck doe that was the first uh, animal that I successfully hunted. And that just recalibrated everything. And... It was really interesting because, you know, for me, that act, you know, I've been part of Native American spirituality, South American spirituality, where hunting is kind of part of, it's just part of life. And and there is no distinction between your spiritual life and your hunting life and your sex life and all of this. It's all just kind of woven together. And so for me, you know, I did my best to, you know, I was hunting with a rifle at that point. I wasn't um, adept enough with a bow to try and take one out. So, you know, before we went out, I said a little prayer over the gun and over the bullets so that the you know it would be accurate and swift and you know then went out and um finally at the end of a really long day found a doe and um took the shot it was clean and then came and you know ran over and and uh it was still alive and i had a small pocket knife that my uncle gave me not pocket knife uh, like a holstered sheath knife and um you know kind of put my hand over it and put the knife through its heart uh, to kill it and at that moment there was just nothing but this feeling of just profound gratitude like some of the most you know and i said another 
little prayer there of, of thank you to the animal, but there's this profound love for that animal. And that's something I think that non-hunters would never understand. And like at that moment, it's probably the most I've ever loved an animal that wasn't like my dog or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Like I've never loved an animal more than that moment as I had my hands on its still warm body. And it was just this radical expression of gratitude. And that was just a total game-changing, paradigm-shifting moment for me. It was like, holy shit, this animal that was once alive that I was walking, watching track down the things, it's now died and it's now going to feed me. Yeah. You know, And right now, even now, its skin is underneath my altar at home. And every day that I go in to meditate, you know, I light candles on it and I see it and, you know, the meat's long gone, but, um, but it's still there with me in that moment, even more importantly, it's still there. But it wasn't even just that moment of that profound love and gratitude for the animal. It was the process of skinning it and then quartering it and then feeling like, oh, I understand why, you know, why these different parts are softer than these muscles, why the haunches are harder because they're muscles that are more sinewy used for climbing and running and why the tenderloin's softer because that muscle is only used for quick cuts and it doesn't get used all the time. And, you know, how the back strap is another one of those muscles that mm. like every different part, yeah. like you get it. And then so like when I order those parts, I'm like, oh, no, I know. Even if it's a cow, like I get it. Like I get <laughs> I what part of the animal this is from. Yeah. And man it's like i think it should be like a fucking prerequisite that you should have like a meat eating license and that's, your meat eating license I was saying this to should be you have to day. hunt and and fucking butcher something well, i said i said what if you had to you had if you want to have a steak you had to go down to your local butcher shop or some factory farm and take a nail gun and whack a cow in the head you had to <laughs> you had to then gut the cow pull its guts out butcher it pack it up, ship it out. And then once you're done that, they're like, thanks, you passed the class, passed a little test. You get <laughs> yeah. a little laminated card that says you can have steak now. And then yeah. you go to the store and they're like, sir, I'd like to see your license. <laughs> like, you want that ribeye? I'd like to see your license. And you're like, oh, okay, well, here's my cow license. I don't have my chicken license yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, that's what hunting is like. It's like getting your deer license. It's like understanding 100%. now that, that, that this piece of venison is something more than that. And, the other thing I would, you know, that strikes me from what you were just saying is that when something dies that you love and you appreciate, you feel gratitude, right? Mm -hmm. If one of your family members dies or your dog dies or just anything leaves the earth that you appreciate and love and have a relationship with, you feel gratitude and sorrow and, you know, there's a lot of emotions that go with that. I don't, yeah. Everybody doesn't have the same ones, but I think one thing we've never discussed is as hunters is is that those emotions are natural because that's something has just left the earth and by your hand that you you went out into the woods you didn't put that deer there but you took it away yeah and and appreciation is one of the things you feel gratitude when somebody dies that you love yeah and i think maybe there's an impulse to kind of hurry through those emotions and it's like you're not a tough or a real hunter if you you want to be like those action heroes you know that yeah. kill somebody and have some witty one-liner and a blase smile or something you know but like i think it's cool to take that moment you know take your moment do you like maybe if that is you and and the first thing your instinct is is for a chuckle or whatever and that's your authentic expression whatever i'm not going to judge that but like don't feel compelled to play a role don't play like the badass hunter guy like if you want to take a moment and cry a tear or two like do it you know, and if you're with somebody who wants to do that, don't fucking make them <laughs> feel like a pussy for doing it. You know, like to allow people to have this experience in their most authentic way and know that, 
you know, there's no one way that makes you better or worse for doing that. Like have that, you know, have that experience. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Yeah, You feel you have different feelings now when you eat a steak or you eat chicken or just, just you know, a- I can forget, you know, like I can certainly like eat a chicken tender and dip it in ranch and Buffalo and not think at all about the chicken, probably because I don't have my chicken license. I need to get my chicken. <laughs> you license. Will work. But it's true though. Even what you said about your cow license, like it would probably be better for me if I did butcher a cow, you know, because I certainly hundred percent of the time, if I go to like lonesome dove and get the venison or the elk or something like that, that's, like I get it. I understand what I'm eating and it's there's like a much deeper appreciation. But and cows I'll try to get there, but I sometimes just slip up. And sometimes it's just a steak and sometimes it's just a cheeseburger <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> it's just a sausage. And um and so I think it would be healthy for me phys- physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually if I hunted more. And I just need to make the time to do that. Like that is a that is a personal practice that would 
assist my, you know, evolution as a human being. And I, I would, you know, dare to say probably all the different animals that I eat, you know, from fishing, you know, and actually cleaning the fish. That's something I haven't really done. I usually catch the fish and then bring them somewhere and then they get clean and then they get fished. That's not the whole thing. That's just pulling and reeling. Like you got to go through the whole process. You cannot rob yourself of that, of that experience. There would be a lot of licenses you got to get. Yeah. I mean, it would be, it'd take you a while. Yeah. I mean, I have got that with the, like spear fishing, you know, spear fishing. I've gone and done the whole deal. Like I did that in Hawaii and that's, that's super dope. Even to me, I, I love, you know, we have some guys that, that work there that deliver tuna steaks every once in a while. I love this tuna steak and it's one of the most delicious things I've ever eaten, but I don't have, I feel weird. (laughs) <laughs> i feel in my home i'm always eating something that i pull out of the freezer i mean look at the look at the vacuum seal package oh cool access to your hawaii 917 yeah perfect remember really quick yeah, oh, yeah, shit, yeah i yeah. remember that time where i missed eight of them and then i <laughs> shot, <laughs> shot this one and i was excited and, and you remember that so like i feel like in my home you know store-bought meat's unwelcome because it, it feels weird sure. now not you know, not that you know, I live in some temple or something. I just live in a house, but I feel I feel as though this kind of un, like lunch meat is a little bit unwelcome in some ways. Yeah. I talked with my wife about that, and she said, "Well, you need to kill some more turkeys this year because I want some white meat." <laughs> right, right. So that was a conversation we had last week. Is is how do we achieve this in its whole as opposed to you know just kind of living half half assed at it? In which you know it's it'd be hard to go out to a restaurant and be like. Here's this elk I killed. It could you cook it up and then bring it over to me? Sure. So you have to hedge your bets. But I feel like my home, being a place where I live and I cultivated that place, I kind of want that to be that dinner table. Yeah, if sacred. you can, you should. Yeah. You know, and then if you can't, you got to at least once or twice. You know, if you're gonna, if you're going to, you gotta just, you gotta do it. You gotta go all the way. Like we're ritual is a big thing for me in my close inner circle and we have a bunch of very close friends and you know we're always trying to think of different ways that we can kind of challenge each other and see things about each other and my fiance Whitney is a way better hunter than me a lot more experienced and just like a, she's like a savant it's like she like she's she better at like most a, things than everybody yeah, is yeah like. she like she like she like just feels the heart of the animal and just shoots like i've never seen anybody and i've been with a lot of really good hunters i've never seen anybody that sight and shoot faster it's like i mean it's like it's like a military operation you know like <laughs> like I, like tim kennedy like seeing a fucking insurgent like that kind of speed is just she just as soon as the crosshairs hit across like the gun goes off and it's just shocking for everybody around and she hits them through the heart every time and and anyways, like, so her, and she's gone through the process a bunch, and she wants to take her girlfriends, like, through that process. Most of them eat meat, but, you know, they're like, ah, hunting, ah, you know, and she's like, no, like, nah, bitch, well, let's go. <laughs> nah, bitch. <laughs> nah, bitch, nah, let's bitch. go. Like, you gotta, you gotta know this. You yeah. gotta feel what this feels like. This is like, this is part of being a human. This is like the, this is the ante to the game that you're playing. You know, you don't have to be fucking world-class you know poker player here but yeah. you gotta you gotta ante up yeah well when when was the first time you had the urge to go hunting because i know it wasn't well that was as a kid yeah. you know but i was hunting not in a i was hunting i was just killing that that urge to kill is something that's like deep in us and my parents gave me carte blanche on the rabbits and squirrels because they were garden ravaging little beasts and so they're like yeah take all them all as you want and i had a bow then and i would be just trying 
all day roaming around my, <laughs> my 10 acre property just looking to blast just shooting the ears off rabbits <laughs> yeah, and shit. totally man a savage you know and and those those moments of i didn't even i hated actually when i shot it because then i had to go finish them you know if it wasn't like a clean shot and like that was like this really shocking experience because i had no purpose behind it but the the art and the skill of like trying to kill this thing with just a string i had no i didn't even have sights on my bow so i was shooting instinctive so instinctive compound bow and i'm just kind of roaming around and trying to catch these things i mean that was something that i was really drawn to but then when you actually do it and this animal's like squealing and you're like like a 10 year old 11 year old kid you're like ah stop yelling you know and you just try and find something to to finish it off with you know that was definitely a more traumatic experience than probably i was bargaining for but that impulse to hone those skills is i think something that's in innate and inborn in humans and i just wish i'd had someone who could you know like me if i had a kid you know i wouldn't just say hey kids yeah go kill all the things in our yard like no, let's go do See this. that thing running around <laughs> yeah, for like, yeah. put a hole in it <laughs> Like I would, you know, try to show them that the right way so they could harness that impulse in a more productive way. And you took a break from hunting for a stretch. Yeah. So I, well, I went, I went from killing and then I did, I did some bird, like some bird hunting. That was probably the most consistent hunting. I would go see, um, a family friend out in Maryland and he had a lodge. We need to hunt some ducks and hunt pheasants and stuff like that. So did some bird hunting. Um, but it was a long time before I went back to, uh, you know, anything with fur, um, and fishing was consistent. And, uh, but yeah, that was, um, you know, it was only five, four or five years ago that I had my first hunt. And then I went bear hunting with you guys and I haven't been back and it's not from lack of desire. It's just from, you know, lack of prioritization i also haven't set foot on a golf course in two years too (laughs) both of those things i'd really like to remedy you got a few things going on yeah i do i do but man i'm I'm like super eager to get back the only thing that scratched the itch which i'd love is spearfishing yeah spearfishing is like snorkeling and hunting had a baby i got a fucking awesome dude i gotta do that you've never never done it oh my god i'm going to hawaii in like two months and i'm gonna gotta do it it's the it's like the best of both of those things i gotta yeah i'm done i'm doing it it's incredible i mean there's there's the gun one and the gun one's dope but you know it takes like a super long time to reload and it's kind of tricky because you got these these cords and whatever and if you really your aim is (laughs) shitty underwater (laughs) um i like the just the long pole where you just pull the rubber band back and like let it go because then you can just keep keep rolling keep blasting yeah um i've got a lot of friends that do it a lot of guys in hawaii that i know they're surfers that just live off that stuff yeah the stories and the way that they find fish and yeah laying on the bottom looking like coral and and you know having fish swim right up to you and pop up i mean that's that's hunting that's incredible and you got to have really great control of your breath yeah you know, I'm so excited. <laughs> Their fish are like, look at this asshole. He's sucking in he's salt water. He's clearly trying to kill. He's like gaff choking and hearts pounding and like 100 beats per minute. I'm not like a great I see your fisher. pink fins, Aubrey. Yeah. I know what you're doing, dude. Yeah, now I'm doing it. We're going to Lanai in a couple of months here. And uh, I'm hoping to to get to yeah. let it loose there and just learn. There's something I saw on Instagram, which if I was uh, if I had a trip plan, I would look into it. It's called the Sea Archer Sling. And it's basically like a bow version of a spear gun. 
Yeah, I've so seen you like that. you like pull it that. back and you shoot it like a bow. And it's I got to take you back be... to when you were a kid chasing. Like yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Except now idea. there's a purpose because yeah. every time I've gone spearfishing, I've eaten that animal within you know the next three hours. What a better and that's I think that's the difference I was talking to somebody about meat and and you know like hunting an unglid or an animal and then fishing. Fishing the concept is eat it as soon as possible. Yeah, get it out of that get it out of that fish, fillet it. Chop yep. it up, eat it raw, cook it, whatever. But the sooner, the better. Mm-hmm. And with meat, if you're doing it right, the idea is let that thing age, let it hang, you know, weeks if you can. Mm-hmm. Let some mold grow on the outside of it, right. chop that off and eat it. Right. Um, and I always found that to be just a whole different world, especially with spearfishing. You shoot a thing and you want to get it on the boat, take it back and eat it raw. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's the, uh, that's what, the idea. What kind of different connection is that? I mean, that's yeah, literally eating the thing raw, which I... I hope nobody out there is doing that with uh, deer, but you could. You could a little deer, little deer uh, tartar, little deer tartar, and tartar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I could yeah, cook it a little bit. But the reef fish that you actually get access to too, a lot of them don't take hooks, so you get some really interesting flavors. Like parrotfish yeah. are like taste like lobster. It's like amazing, and you can they don't you know they like suck the coral off rocks. So, and you have to be careful. There's some like reef borne fish illnesses you can get, but in general, um, I've had no issues and it's just been an epic experience. Well, for me, hunting, you know, I grew up hunting, but then later on, just kind of getting a closer, you know, relationship with hunting, it drove me to do things like garden and get chickens and when have this, you know, innate desire to go spearfishing because of mm-hmm. uh, the way I feel like it's paralleled to hunting. So, I mean, I feel like hunting has led me down a path of sustainability. Just in seeing, like we were talking about going home and having that option in your house to open the fridge and pull out something that means something to you. Yeah. Um, you want to replicate that. So I guess um, now that we've covered your, your history with hunting, I would ask you, you've done a lot of stuff. I mean, you've, mm-hmm. you've, had, you've traveled to countless South, South American villages mm-hmm. and had countless experiences with tribal leaders, and you've written a book looking at it right now own the day own your life i mean you've kind of become this and i've enjoyed watching it since i've known you just this voice for reason but also just clarity and vision and just to me the pragmatism at which you approach giving people advice is 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 what's it's not shocking but in a way it is i mean most people i find that give advice give it you know with some slant of personal um you know, the personal, they want to get something from you. Sure. Uh, but I found that just reading your stuff and following along that it's it's not that for you. It's it's just wanting to better people's lives and, and expanding your own mind so you can help other people's expand theirs. Yeah. So, you know, you've hunted, you've had this experience, and you've gone and done anything. What are the things that you've experienced in your life that would maybe put a different shine on hunting as you know it? Like the, your motivation to go do it, <laughs> what you get from it, you know, how has it been rounded out in, in a way? I think to understand what and what is an animal, like what are we and what are animals and how, what are the differences, you know, like, and not to romanticize. I think the, like you get caught in two camps. One is like this romanticization of like, Oh, life is life. You know, so precious. You can't touch it and whatever, you know, like that's not the game. You know, that's not, that's not in the natural order. That doesn't abide by truth. But what also doesn't abide by truth is just killing for no reason. Killing isn't a big deal, whatever. You know, so it's finding that middle ground between like who we are and what these animals are. 
and really understanding that we're all part of, in my understanding, you know, it's a lot of the spiritual practices that I've done, we're all part of the same substrate, you know, and you can call that substrate the universe, you can call that substrate energy, you can call that substrate God, you know, we're all part of this God experience unfolding, this life experience unfolding, this universe experience unfolding. And there's many different ways that it manifests. It manifests in concrete things and kind of rock energy, which is still atomic structures that are moving constantly. We think of rocks as inanimate. They're moving. They're just not alive. And then there's the life things, but then there's things like insects, which are basically like moving rocks. They don't really have free will. Like you take a digger wasp and you can get it to do the same thing over and over again by tricking its environment, right? It's not like a conscious creature. They're like little robots. Mm -hmm. They're alive, but they're like mostly like little robots that'll continue to do the same thing. And, And how perfect because they're like the garbage disposals of the earth. Like they need to run like robots. They can't just decide like, not nah, fuck it. I'm not into garbage today. <laughs> you know, like if the flies decided they didn't, the flies it. decided they Sorry. didn't like shit. This tastes like shit. <laughs> yeah. This is like, terrible. Nope, nope. Sorry. I'm going to flowers. <laughs> the bees are killing it. Yeah, on man. Honey? Game. Honey is the you move. serious? <laughs> I am start brewing my own beer. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't have that if you're a bug, you know? So then, all right, understanding that these are creatures with like, less free will somewhere between a rock and a human you know like the structures there the movements there but that kind of and then and then just kind of figuring it out figuring out what these you know the sentience the will the personality of these beings and what that really means you know and who they are like who they are what they are and then having respect for that and knowing knowing going kind of consciously into what you're doing and knowing too that there's you know there's this countless abundance of new new like all life is precious but each individual life really isn't that precious because there's all kinds of other forms that comes through so it's like this weird paradox where it's like yes is that deer absolutely precious absolutely but it's precious as deer collectively that one deer you know is precious but can be sacrificed to feed other things and, and that's are, part of the that's part of life and aren't those the human spectrums we have one side the animal rights person who says that one deer yeah is precious right that one deer's life i love that deer <laughs> that deer over there i love it <laughs> and then you got a whole nother group of people that i tend to hang out with that say i love the idea of deer yeah they are they play a part in this big old tapestry that is nature and oh, i play a part with them i kill them to save them, yeah, and there's so much oxy, you know, there's so many oxymorons built into those ideas that I think I often wonder. I've been thinking this a lot more lately. Is it impossible, or is it semi-impossible to to explain what hunting is to someone who's never done it, it to accurately depict the complexity both of nature, the natural world, our involvement in it, and then also what the hunter, the historically the hunter has done for that wildlife. Because bias just jumps in the way. Yeah. Like bias yeah. jumps in the way. Well, first of all, it's really hard to, ex- it is really hard to explain that. I mean, go ahead and start with explaining the feeling of wasabi and yeah. orgasm first. <laughs> Try to <laughs> explain that to someone who's never I like those two either, examples. Either I'm going to go with things. one wasabi because I like it with soy <laughs> yeah, sauce okay. and two. Second orgasm. <laughs> you know, like you can't explain some things that you haven't really experienced, but and especially with hunting, just bias becomes a monster. Yeah. You know, your idea of what it is is and people oh i could never do that bullshit you could never do that if you were hungry enough if you're a kid you know you're you know your mama bear and your kids looking at you starving and you have an opportunity to hunt and feed it i for damn sure you know you will be the first one out there 
you know, whittling a spear and trying to make that shit happen. It's just, it's part of our nature. But with the abundance that we have, we have the luxury of these choices. But let's not get confused. You know, it's just the luxury of choices that are even giving you that option. You know, so it's, it's a funny, it's a funny world that we're just altogether so fucking disconnected from everything, from absolutely every aspect of what it is to be this human primate. You know, from the camaraderie, from the sexuality, from the social bonds, from the tribal bonds, from the practices like the hunting and the gathering and the cultivating from your own garden. I mean, that's something, too, that I think everybody should experience. Eat yeah. a vegetable that you watered from a seed and pulled from the ground and washed the dirt off of. Like, that's cool, too. Yeah, well, like, I always think, like, what if somebody just erased your mind and somebody said, here, okay, even with vegetables, because it's kind of hard to do with meat, you could either... Grow it in, in the ground, plant it in the ground. I'll give you the seed. I'll even provide the seed to you. Grant it and then water it. Put it in an environment where it can thrive. Grows out of the ground. And then at a time where it's most rich and ready to eat, you pluck it. You cut it up and eat it. Like, that seems pretty good. And it seems <laughs> like I would appreciate that thing more because I had to work and I had to watch it and I had to understand how it thrived and how it allowed me to thrive. That seems pretty cool. Or what I'm going to do is I'm going to build a maze. And in that maze is going to be lighting. And you go through a door. The door will open automatically. You don't even have to pull the door. You go through this, and then there's a maze of vegetables, but they're just in boxes. And they're all like the best kinds of vegetables. And there's lighting on them and stuff, and there's music playing. And you get a little a cart that's on wheels, and you push that around. You just pull shit out of boxes, and you put it in your thing. You take it up, then you pay for it. You go home and eat it. Like, which one of those is better? Like, one of them's Whole Foods. One of them's in your backyard. Yeah. If you just erase everything, I, I would probably just say, look, man, like the other one seems fake. Yeah. This one seems real. Inherently, I'm just going to pick the real one. Well, you you also, it's also just like knowing the vegetable. Like, yeah. like you don't really know the vegetable when it's already pre-prepared. Like, and most people don't even buy the vegetables that they have to cut. You know, yeah. you go into Whole Foods, you're getting you're getting some white person to cut your vegetables <laughs> yeah. for you. That's how premium it is there at Whole Foods. There's, like, I, there's, I don't have enough time to cut vegetables. There's like Jackson crazy? in the back, and yeah. you know, Sarah cutting your cutting your vegetables for you, and and they're like preparing it, and you're paying exorbitant prices, and it just comes in this food form. Whereas you, you pull a zucchini from the ground, you see where the stem is connected to that little nub on the end that you cut off and how that's mm-hmm. feeding it nutrients and how it's growing in the soil and how it's creating, you know, something that you're going to consume and is going to nourish your body. That's a different thing. You get like, I get like fired up when I'm cooking anything that's from our garden, whether it's, we have eggplants and herbs or even man, even if I'm making like a cocktail and I'll go out and grab some mint and muddle it up from our garden and like just drinking that, you know, drinking that lime and tequila and mint or whatever I decide to make. And like, I'll have like a little smile on my face, like herbs from my garden. <laughs> you know, that's I like, am drunk that's and a, herbs. That's actually probably the, like the, that's probably the time when I'm like the most like annoyingly proud. It's like, <laughs> I'll always tell somebody it's from our garden. Yeah. You know, like, I, do the same thing like, I don't meat. brag about anything, you know, I, I do don't the like, same thing. I don't brag about shit, but my wife, like last, even last night, two nights ago, I cooked an axis backstrap and it was like the most delicious, it's best thing I've ever cooked. If I could bottle up whatever the hell I did, I would. Yeah. And then last night I was got home late. My wife had cooked uh, the other part of the backstrap in the oven as opposed to our Traeger, and I was offended. I was like emotional. I'm like, come on, just turn the Traeger on. You know what? It's going to be good that way. It's not as good this way. And she looked at me and said, like, calm down. Don't get so emotional. I'm like, hey, 
I had to go to Hawaii for that. <laughs> like, aren't, I, aren't I allowed to get emotional about that? Yeah. Like, I, I can't just go back and get another one tomorrow. Like, yeah. And so I find that you know maybe I'm a little bit of a dick when it comes to <laughs> yeah. When, yeah. It, when it comes to my wild meat that I went and got because that there isn't a it doesn't I can't go out and and get it presented to me in a nice lighted box like it would be at Whole Foods. Yeah, so and it's it's just a, it's just it's a precious. different thing. It's also it's a showcase of your skill. It's a showcase of um, there's something very primal about it that I think is that I think is important, but. I think that one of the biggest problems why everybody's so depressed and anxious and fucked up in general, if you look at, you know, the demographics of different people and the epidemics of all of these different issues, is we forgot how to be humans. You know, we forgot how to sit around next to each other and help prepare meals and laugh and go hunting together and have these experiences that as a human organism were designed to have. And that's you know a lot of what I've tried to put in my book is like how do we get back to the blueprint of what we were supposed to do because in that blueprint we're going to thrive and there's a lot of practices that we can do that can mimic some of these environments like part of the thing about a hunt that's going to be good is you're going to get cold at certain points you know maybe you're going to get hot at certain points maybe you're going to have periods of fast exertion and high high stress followed by super calm periods where you have absolutely nothing to do but wait and that's what we're designed for we're not designed for constant stress all the time a little bit of this a little bit of that no rest no break we're designed for these so when we're not hunting like how do we mimic that in real in regular life like how do we mimic the experience of a hunt you know by going through our day that way well maybe it's a cold shower or an ice bath and maybe it's you know a quick sprint and then some you know steady state cardio or yeah. some walking and like how do we mimic these experiences that can get us at least a little bit closer but even better than mimicking them is actually hey why don't <laughs> we just do, do them yeah i have a real problem with depression after i come back from a long time outside sure like i come back from some trips i've had this year It'll be 10 days 14 days you come back and my wife's like i'm just gonna give you a couple days to switch it back switch <laughs> switch that dial back to regular fella <laughs> get it back to like yeah stop being this to looking around like looking for the next you know really looking for the next mental cue to go do something exert myself i'm just kind of right. like riding along going when's the next hunt you know? and the thing is without the hunting experience you would be just internalizing bottling compounding not even really understanding like man why am i so bummed why don't i have any energy why am i why can't i get going and because you just you don't even know you haven't yeah. even seen the other side yeah you know, so you have nothing to compare it to. That's why I think even podcasting is some kind of weird catharsis because you're just me and you sit down talking. Like mm -hmm. that door in your office here stays closed. Yes. Somebody walks Ooh. in, we'd be like, "Get out!" <laughs> <And so laughs> unless if John Dudley calls. Unless if John Dudley calls, uh, if he calls back, <laughs> um, he's got a special ringtone. But that kind of thing to me, like that's that's rare. It, yeah. It's become a rarity, which is sad. But in the same uh, in the same way, I was talking to somebody at work the other day about. The idea of vacation is strange to me in some way after being a hunter. Like, I live my life in this, essentially what we're admitting to is not a perfect existence. The need for vacation, you know, says to the, says to the human, hey, the thing you're doing, that's not a vacation. That's not the optimal way that you live your life. Yeah. So there is this other thing out there that you go pursue that shows you how great it could be. Well, you go do that thing and then you go back to your shitty life and you're like, well, that now it sucks here. Like, why would you leave your current and show what's better? Why not do the opposite? Why not go to a place that's harder so you appreciate where you are every day? Like that makes sense. Makes sense to me. 
Yeah. And also, like, the way that we handle vacation now is the only way to relieve stress. It's not the actual relieving stress by doing something challenging and actually going out like you're saying. It's to just pound drinks. Yeah. You know, you just go, oh, vacation mode. My brain. Liquid my diet. liver. Yeah, yeah. yeah it just fucking crush as many, yeah. you know, And then society's like, don't daiquiris. even get out of the pool. Stay yeah, in the pool. Yeah, I'll exactly. bring it to you. Yeah, exactly. Just pump it in your and system. shit food and oh, like shit here's drinks. A, pull the lever on this machine and put yeah. money in it. Maybe you'll win something. And then, all right, yeah, maybe it, maybe it bludgeons your consciousness enough that you relieve enough stress for a moment, but then you come back with the compounded damage that you've done and the momentum and the exhaustion and you know the frustration and then you're just waiting for that next moment you can bludgeon yourself over the head with more yeah. booze and to get out of this like that's yeah. not the that's not the thing man you don't want to be that dude yeah. at the end of your life and be like yeah i wonder what it would have been like to go on a trek across new zealand on foot like i did a recent psychedelic experience i haven't, I haven't actually talked about this on any podcast but i popped out of it and I had this incredibly crystal clear vision of me walking on foot through the Australian outback. And I was like, damn. Like, and I like knew I had to go. I could see this traced back from my youth and my fascination with Australia and the didgeridoo and you know, Aboriginal culture and all of these different signs. I was like, oh fuck. It's like, I gotta go to fucking Australia. I was like, all right, man. All right. So then there's that. And then there's so at some point now, I know that I'm going to be taking, like, uh, and I think I found the trail. I'm going to do the Lara Pinta Trail, which is yeah. like a 21 mile hike through the through the outback and see what's possible there. Maybe there's hunting available. Maybe it's just camping and playing music or whatever. But that experience now, I'm like stoked for it. Like I'm looking forward. To, I get to do all kinds of awesome shit. I mean, great parties, super ath- superstar athletes. You know beautiful girls all those things like that's Tell what, me I'm more most, about that. what i'm that's most excited about yeah <laughs> what i'm most excited about is you know it's gonna sound crazy but i'm most excited about that fucking that trek where i just get to like turn my phone off and just cruise through a hot ass hot ass <laughs> middle of nowhere place and just it just calls to me you know i think that's part of the balance of life it's not all just like more and more yeah if i had more money if i had more dope parties if i had more of this like that's no that's not it that's there's a place for that like i love that stuff but you can't just have that and then yeah. just have crushing it at work and then just have crushing it with in this area like everything needs to be in balance and rehumaning, like getting your fucking feet on the earth and sleeping out under the stars no. pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service it's called the wellness company picture this okay you wake up you got a scratchy throat you're all congested you got a runny nose you got a cough whatever and you weigh your options like you tough it out get sick take time off work try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks or you open your medical emergency kit you match your symptoms to the doctor recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. 
your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Man, I went to Nepal uh, be close to a year ago to hunt blue sheep. And I, you know, I describe it as a hunt, right? I say I went hunting. I didn't really go hunting. Like I thought I was going hunting. I went there to hunt a sheep, but about a third of the way through, I could give two fucks about <laughs> any sheep. I mean, I still knew I wanted to kill a sheep because that's the full breadth of the yeah. experience of what I was there to do. But once I we landed in this little village in the middle of nowhere and do in this little town called Dule Yarsa. It was like six days walk from the nearest road. And we get into a room, you know, half the size of your office here. And we're talking to these people and they're translating their stories and we're drinking their Roxy moonshine out of a cup. There's a goat standing in the corner of this stone hut and there's a one-year-old baby laying on the ground and you're looking around thinking, these people have nothing. And the next morning you wake up and they're singing and there's flute playing and there's yelling like, boisterous yelling and people are just it's just it's like this beautiful sounds coming from everywhere and the sun's coming up over the mountain you're like come on man like, yeah did i not come here for this yeah like what did i come here for <laughs> right that sheep that's that's up the mountain there or this thing which is perspective yeah on what we what it could be or what it is for other people and that's that's what i think a lot of people miss specifically in the world that this this podcast will speak to just the perspective of what's there on the ground that you miss while you're thinking about that 400 inch elk or mm-hmm. you know in your case like what's when's the right bear uh, i think you the way you came at that bear hunt was perfect because you've experienced everything up until the moment when it would happen or not yeah but i think that's my own i look back at my own hunting life my own life spent outside and i say like dude i missed so much in the last 20 years so much but i'm glad i did because now i know Mm. like now i know what i missed yeah man this is like we have the best opportunity to explore this world and have a variety of different experiences and the more we get caught up in our own 
desire to validate ourselves and maybe that's and you can even validate yourself through hunting of course you know like sure and that is the trophy element like i did this look at me aren't i great you know like that's fine but that's not you're missing the point the point is the point is the thing it's the experience itself you know like you should find the joy even if you never told a soul you know and if you could just do this and smile you know and give that you know give those antlers to an indigenous people and walk back like that should be the test like could you do that and still love it like could you go kill give away all the meat all the skins all the antlers everything and never tell anybody and just do that and hold that as like this smile you could carry in your heart and like would that still be worth it and then if so then you know you're probably hunting for the right reason yeah i was listening to this guy on rogan's podcast um johan hari you Mm -hmm. hear about that guy Mm -mm. Um, an expert in depression which seems like a weird thing to say but he was talking about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation like intrinsic obviously meaning you're doing it because you love it you personally you gain something personally from it and extrinsic meaning you're going out and doing it based on a reward you know some an external reward that someone else will give you based on that thing yeah and he was talking about it in, in a different field and a completely different subject of what i was thinking but i immediately turned into like that's it like that's yep. what my problem has been. Like I've let too much of the extrinsic in, and yeah. not done enough of the intrinsic. Not only just in going outside and and hunting, but just in all of life. Like you let too much of that in. And we do it in so many slippery different ways. Like we're we're just the the ego is just this starving validation machine, and it's constantly looking to validate itself. Whether it's a glance in the mirror, or, you know, looking at your bank balance or what you've accomplished or what your job is or you know how big the dick is between your legs or like what animals you've killed or we're just constantly hungrily looking for validation but i think depression a lot of it comes from the exasperation and realizing that you're never going to get validation from anything external you're feeding a hungry ghost like you're valid because you're human you're valid because you're part of this planet you're valid because you are you know you're not valid because you do you're valid because you be and when we realize that, then we can stop this rabid hunt to try and prove to ourselves and others that we're, I am something. Like, oh, yeah, you are. 100%. You're fucking awesome. But it's not because of anything you do. It's just because you are. You know? And that's the, that's the big thing we have to and then, then And then you're free. And then you actually do more awesome stuff. And people are like, oh, my God, you're so awesome. You're like, oh, okay. You know, like, but when you're yeah, constantly man. hunting, we've all been around those people that are just thirsty just thirsty for that validation like no i'm not gonna give you that i'm actually gonna do the other way i'm just a little busy i got stuff going on (laughs) yeah exactly i gotta go get my chicken license (laughs) all weekend chicken license damn it that's gonna be the title of this podcast aubrey marcus and the chicken license (laughs) we're gonna have to have to do a video (laughs) companion (laughs) what from the book like what from the book i want to read the thing but what what from the book do you think um you know best sheds light on this conversation like on, on yeah, I think it's the I think it's a lot of the discussions about the managing stress appropriately. And um, you know, I think that's a that's a real big one because you think of the life cycle of like how we're supposed to live and it's short bursts of acute stress and acute stressors, hormetic stress and then long bouts of you know, relaxation and decompression. And that's what you experience in any hunt, you know. And so finding the ways to do that through, you know, hot and cold therapy through which actually when you do find those acute 
acute stressors, it does an amazing job of reducing the chronic stress. And that chronic stress is like a fire that's just burning us alive. So going through the breath practices like the Wim Hof breath practices, the cold exposures, the heat exposure, the types of training, the different practices that you can put around that so that it just gets your body back in line. I think that's an important topic. And then also mapping the circadian rhythm throughout the day, you know, because when you're out hunting outside and you're on a hunt, you know, you're waking up with the light, you're going to sleep with the darkness. You don't have climate control, you know, you don't have <laughs> any of these other things. And guess what? You're not tired, <laughs> you know, for the most part. My experience is Dude, it's there. amazing. It's, it's like, it's, it's amazing. Right? You get up at four in the morning, you're hunting, and you end the day at eight o'clock, and you're like, I could do two more hours. Yeah. Because you're in a core, you're in rhythm. Like you're in congruence with the circadian rhythms of the body, of the earth. You become one with the environment again. And finding ways, even in our concrete jungle, to stay in accord with that. So when you wake up, you know, making sure that you're getting exposure to light and you're rehydrating and you're getting some movement and then what you're doing to create darker conditions and mimic a, a natural environment before you go to bed and then knowing which times are the right times to nap and, and rest during throughout the day, you know generally would be in like the heat of the day that's when the circadian rhythms will drop and go ahead and take that nap you know instead of trying to pound more coffee oh. and power through the the hunting the nap evening. is the best nap <laughs> yeah. of naps like yeah. it is the ultimate nap we, exactly. i was actually in mexico last and we started to follow the pattern of these coos deer we were hunting and they're you know we were describing it as kind of like the dial of the day like you would click it over and it would be like this pre-dawn dusk where the deer started to move and then around 10 a.m., they would click it over to everybody go in the shade, mm -hmm. lay down, let's chill. And you would click it at about 4 o'clock. It would click into this like post, you know, post early, of you know, post sunny hot time where it was, they were going to move. You look at dusk. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the animals we hunt are crepuscular, and that's what they do. But we started to get up in the morning. We'd go out there. We'd be still during that time where the deer move and we'd be following them on a ridge or whatever. 10 o'clock would come, we would know, we'd get up on a ridge, get in some shade, do exactly what the deer were doing, and then take a nap, you know, during the hot times of the day. Four o'clock would roll around, we'd get up and do basically what the same the deer were doing, hunt them the way that they lived. And mm -hmm. I, 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 that was the first time I ever thought about it that way. It's the first time I ever realized we're basically just being the deer at this point. Yeah, like and I bet it felt damn good. It was awesome. Yeah, and that nap during the day, I'm like, this, the deer's taking a nap, I'll take a break. And right now, what are we doing? We're, we're being the idealized model of the perfect industrial cog in the machine yeah, man. like that's what oh, okay show up at 8 a.m work till 6 p.m blah 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 like okay but that's not an animal that we're approximating that's not like what our body wants that's yeah. what like the man wants <laughs> you know like that's what show up at that, 8 a.m yeah like, how stressed are guys like trying to get to work like, oh my god it's 7:59. yeah what happens at eight and then and then work all through the day like it's just a weird structure i understand for efficiency look i run a company and we have those hours too but also if i catch if i see someone napping in the middle of the day or working out or whatever that's also encouraged like i realize like you can't hold human beings to artificial schedules and expect them to be at their best performance either their happiness or their performance so you know i talk about a lot of that stuff in the book too like how do we apply these principles that become instinctive to all other animals and apply those to a life lived as a human being in normal society. Yeah. And all this, every conversation I have with somebody, it just seems like we always get back to this thing. Because I, other than my family, I think about hunting like almost 
every day, all the time. Mm -hmm. It's kind of unhealthy. But it always comes back to this, like, great conversation about this enriching thing that I've done and you've done, and we all kind of have experienced, and it's changed our lives, but everybody seems to not understand it and not like it. Like every, <laughs> you, we both live in Austin, Texas. We're sitting right now in Austin, Texas. If you walk down Sixth Street, you know, and started asking people, "What do you think about hunting?" and showing them a picture, most people would be like, "That's some bullshit." Yeah. Like, why is that guy doing that? Well, I think we've shown a spotlight on the wrong thing. You know, like what makes the news? Is it the guy who quietly goes out, says a prayer over his bullets and his gun and goes and takes an animal from a field and cries tears of gratitude and then takes the skin and puts it on his altar and eats the meat and smiles and has family gatherings? And does that make fucking news? No, Cecil the fucking lion makes the news. You know what I mean? And it's we're shining a light on the wrong thing. We're not people aren't aware of what it could be. And I don't think that's it's not something that enough people are putting out because the people who are doing that aren't as vocal they aren't talking about it they aren't posting the big the big post about it because that's not what it is so i think we can get this kind of bias as to what it is and i think that's why it's awesome you're having this podcast and i jump at the chance to talk about hunting because it's not something that comes up often in my conversations but it's like fucking essential and it's essential to start telling that other side of it and not everybody's going to do it like me and that's cool but at least like shine the light on the full breadth of the spectrum not just shine the light on the shitty people who are remote control hunting you know for the sheer sport of it you know clicking in online and have some remote control gun like that'll make national news but the other thing will never make the news i can't figure that out can't figure that out (laughs) i can't figure out why the moral entanglements of hunting are elevated and like there's other things that we do that have moral entanglements that we just sure. kind of like slough off. Like, oh, this Franklin barbecue. I love love you, Aaron Franklin. Sorry. But like mm-hmm. that dude's just, you know, wholesale killing cows and people wait in line for it and it's celebrated. And they're just we don't there people aren't standing in line thinking about the moral entanglements of what they're what they're engaged in at that yeah. level. It's because hunting hunting is decentralized. There's no hunting collective industry, really. That it's like it's each each individual interactions you know so nobody has those big deep corporate pockets to support other than maybe some gear suppliers or some people like that but they're not in this big lobbying game whereas you talk about like the meat industry or the dairy industry you know they're swinging a big fucking stick around and like if you're a news company and you you know don't want to preclude the opportunity to have advertising from real milk or some other advertiser that's advertising on your network then you know you just have to look at the the influence and unfortunately that's the world we live in where these dollars kind of create bias and also it's something that they can shock people with whereas that other heartwarming story about it is you know someone really has to pay attention doesn't fit with the conversation yeah Yeah, i'd also think about like i've i've skied a couple times but i'm not i'm no skier or snowboarder or anything like that but I don't think anybody skis down that mountain thinking like, man, this could be habitat. Like this, yeah. I feel very morally, I should probably, when I get down <laughs> to the bottom of the mountain, I'm going to put my hand on the ground and cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because something used to live here and now I'm just skiing down this for my own pleasure right. and then riding up on it in a giant chair <laughs> that's attached to a cable. Yeah. So I always, I just, it's something I've always thought about, like what, or thought about recently since we've been having these good combos. Well, we're so We're so fucked up about death too you know like our whole concept about all death human death animal death we're so removed from it 
you know, death is just a part of life when you're in the animal way. Like if you're in another culture, everybody saw all things die. Like it's shocking to see something die for most people because they've never seen it. And we do weird, weird things like pump bodies full of formaldehyde and you visit them weirdly. And it's like, whoa, man, like we're just all weird about it. And I think it's partly a lack of real spiritual understanding of where that energy goes or what happens. And everybody is entitled to their own beliefs in that. And part just this lack of exposure to it and then weird overexposure in tv mm-hmm. and like so in video games and stuff where it's death everywhere but then in reality death nowhere and it's just like we're just really out of balance with what that really is like and so you know i think that's something that else that if you really want to know what life is about like know what death is about like hear the death moan of a bear yeah like understand the appropriate response for leaving the earth yeah. You know, well, that's like, why you see a lot of hunters have gone to posting the uh, crocodile balls and impala video, like or the bear kills a cub videos, because they want people to say, like, "Hey, man, I've seen this. Mm. Like, this is death. I I know death, and it's serious. Like, there isn't any way to wash that out of the experience. There's yeah. no way to take it and hose off the blood. Like, it's there all the time. Yeah, those bears are killing those big boars are killing cubs. Like, it's going out of style. Mm-hmm. And there's no, but you can't. You can't put suspenders on that bear and a hat on it and a rain jacket and make it all better. And whatever you do, don't put gold chains on it. Yeah, they hate that, that bitch. They hate that. <laughs> they, they really they hate that, especially that. in the psychedelic world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that that ties it all back to like how do we how do we take this thing that's enriching and good and just I don't see anything bad about it. I don't. I, I people can take it and make it bad, just like sure. campers campers might go litter. That doesn't mm-hmm. make camping bad. Uh, how do we take this thing that's inherently good and figure out how to talk about it? I better? think, you know, I think there's a space for a more ritualized, like in spiritual communities, there's not a lot of hunters and that's bullshit. Like it's bullshit. And I think there's a space for a more ritualized hunting experience where you have somebody, maybe, you know, a Lakota elder who knows the old ways, you know, and, and takes someone out and is like, this is how we hunt. This is how we prepare the animals where you go through the complete experience from the prayers, from the songs the night before where you're trying to communicate with those spirits and ask them to come and then taking the animal in the field and then skinning it, preparing it, making your jerky, skinning the animal, making whatever kind of crafts out of the other parts of the animal. And like that fucking experience would be radically transformative, you know? And I I think there's a real space for that kind of because there's all kind of yoga retreats and shit yeah, uh, seven day yoga retreat 14 day what about a you know seven day 14 day north dakota hunting experience led by native elders and you do a sweat lodge and kill an animal and prepare it and you know paint it like all right fuck yeah like there's a space yeah. for that and i think that's an important and maybe that's not going to reach the masses but it'll at least have more voices who are kind of embracing this other side and telling that other part of the narrative and um you know if i had more time maybe i could start to organize <laughs> those you, things the, the on it retreat that would be on awesome man retreat, i'd go be with awesome you. i'd go with you because i yeah and i found that i find that you know <clears throat> the two times we won't talk about the first time we went hunting that's a whole nother <laughs> <laughs> we what was the hunted. term honey dick does that <laughs> yeah, we, got honey yeah, dick. we got honey dick for sure the first time Aubrey and i met we were sitting on top of like a high rack jeep getting just marauded by mosquitoes <laughs> in this we won't say the name of it in this no. high fence 
No. We got tricked into a high fence situation. Yeah. And we realized we had it. some laughs though. We had some fun yeah. like, with that crew. It's hard not to, but anyway, we won't talk about that. But yeah. You know, and just when I was th- was driving over here thinking about this conversation, I was thinking just to just I would almost every year try to go hunt with somebody that has a different perspective. Because sometimes we, we, I always tend to hunt with my friends or people that I enjoy time with. And, mm-hmm. of course, I know and intimately know. And a lot of times there's not a whole bunch of dynamics in that situation. You're kind of always getting the same thing. Yeah. And um, to, like, just say, hey, man, I'm just going to go with Aubrey and check out his, you know, just kind of watch what he does and see see how that benefits me. Yeah, that'd be dope. That would be careful, though, because I, I talked to I have a good buddy, really good buddy, and he went hunting. Uh, with someone who didn't really know that well and he's like god damn that guy drove me crazy <laughs> you know like i was like Look, we'll just sit we'll be quiet and he was over there full on yeah, yeah no that you got to be careful with that but there's you know there's a way to do that where sure. you can see through somebody who hasn't experienced the same thing you have sure maybe there's a different way to think about it yeah maybe there's a different way and that's when i was thinking like kicking this damn thing off like who am i going to talk to that can provide some different perspective because all due respect from all the people I know in the hunting industry, it's it's there's it's a bubble. It's group think. It's it's mm-hmm. we're all kind of doing the same thing. We're super passionate. We got our heads down, mm-hmm. and a lot of times we we don't ever look up and look around. Like, are we? Is this right? <laughs> yeah. Is are we doing this right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think it would be cool for hunters to like, you know, psychedelics aren't for everybody. And but if you're called to that path, like have a guided experience by someone who really knows what the fuck they're doing just imagine it think of it like hunting in dangerous terrain like you want a guide who really knows Mm. what they're doing doesn't have an ego isn't going to be foolish isn't going to be stupid but like do something that helps show you a deeper side of, of the life of the animals that you have and you know i think a lot of hunters are kind of like uh oh i don't want to do that because i don't want to find out that what i'm doing is wrong like i'll give you the fucking shortcut what you're doing is not wrong at the action but how you're doing it might be able to be better and better to learn that now yeah you know better to be able to carry that and face that because all all people have hunted since the beginning of time like the action don't worry about the action it's not going to tell you not to hunt it just might give you advice on like okay here's how to do it in like a cooler way and the way i started hunting with my dad and i feel like if my dad listens to these regularly he's going to think i'm talking shit i love you dad (laughs) (laughs) like the the way that we hunted was like if i look back now like man we were some rednecks <laughs> we were redneck to the core. And if I would have told like 15 year old Ben O'Brien this conversation we we're having, yeah. he'd have been like, pussy. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to get that, I'm sure, too. And I'm going to get it I'm too. I'm going to be like, like can't weeks. you just talk about like not travel uh, and yeah, yeah. things that are serious to hunting and not all this? But I've, I I said it in the last couple, and I don't want to repeat myself on all these things, but I find myself more interested in the philosophies of this thing than, yeah. uh, than I am interested in, in what boots I should wear or whatever. Just I think just because it's it's such a complex thing that you could talk about it forever and never get to all of it. Yeah. You know? Well, I, man, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it because, like yeah. I said, I don't get that chance yeah. very much, and I know we've had those conversations and yeah. we're and we're digging them. And uh, so I appreciate you yeah. having me on to do well, that anytime. And and your podcast is I listen to it all the time. There's the voices and the people that you have on that I have no idea about. Like yeah. half of my followers i think <laughs> came from yeah. your podcast and just people that speak with open minds and just smart thinkers who have found different ways and are you know want to pull people along in their journey which i find to be kick-ass oh yeah ways. man so oh yeah th- thank you for that 
course. Thanks for this. Yeah, definitely. Anybody interested in the book, by the way, just go to ownthedaybook.com. I fucking poured my soul into this thing, so I'm sure I know you did. I remember talking to you like I, I I'll see you in a couple months. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to a book uh, retreat, and yeah. I'm never going to talk to you. Yeah, <laughs> again, the hourglass is empty, man. We did it. We did it. Hooray! Bye. Later. And the hourglass is empty. Episode number three is done. Appreciate you all joining. Much respect to Aubrey Marcus for joining us for the conversation. Love that guy. Um, he had to leave us after just the hour for the hourglass because, he, of course, he is the CEO of a giant company and he's got a lot of things to do. Um, but we had him for an hour, which I appreciated, as always. And if, hopefully you can tell by that, that podcast, Aubrey is the type of dude who you can sit around and have a beer with and quote Will Ferrell movies and laugh like a teenager, but he's also a dude that you can go and sit in meditation with and talk about spiritual oneness. I mean, he really just is one of the more unique people that you'll ever meet. So hope that came through in podcast number three. Really appreciate you joining us. So as always, go to thehuntingcollective.com for more videos, articles, all the podcasts we've done up to this point. Check out my Instagram feed, at BennyOB301. That's where everything else emanates from. And check us out next week for episode four, where I'll hope to be joined by episode three special guest, the one, the only, Jonathan Dudley of Knock On. So join us next week for that one. Until then, bye-bye. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.